Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, December the 15th, 2019. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I don't care where you listen as long as you listen. And wherever you are, leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Welcome in, everybody. I think we are chock full of things to talk about today. Pretty apropos is, what are we, uh, 10 days before Christmas here? So we're like a a Christmas stocking of information ready to unload on Christmas Day or holiday stocking for the who don't celebrate Christmas out there. You always got to be PC in this day and age. A lot to talk about. I did not come to you with any special editions of the podcast during the winter meetings this past week, just because I just didn't think it fit. Like I told you, I don't mind doing those instant reactions. We did them last year uh, when the Mets signed Wilson Ramos and the Cano trade and things like that. But I didn't think, even though uh, the Mets made a couple of moves, that it was necessary to stop the presses on that and do something uh, in, in a in a micro type of way, I think it was more about, all right, let's see how the week goes. It was very clear early into the winter meetings. Let's see how the week goes, and we'll take it from there. Now, uh, guests today you'll hear on the way out of this podcast had a chance to catch up with Bob Locker. Bob Locker has nothing to do with the Mets, former big leaguer from the 60s and 70s, pretty good reliever, but he, over the years, has been running with the late Jim Bouton, former Yankees pitcher, Thanks, Marvin, a website dedicated to Marvin Miller. Of course, Marvin Miller and Ted Simmons were elected into the Baseball Hall of Fame just a week ago. The first of uh, two announcements for the Hall of Fame, the major BBWAA Hall of Fame announcements will will be coming in about a month. 
So uh, I think it's pretty significant. Marvin Miller has been controversial in the sense that he's uh, obviously someone who has made a tremendous impact on baseball, uh, historic impact, should have been in the Hall of Fame years ago. Uh, we could have a whole show, a series of shows probably about collusion and the Players Association and why Marvin Miller is not in the Hall of Fame. But he is, and that's not what this is about. But I thought it'd be cool to wrap up the show and get perspective from someone who stumped for Marvin Miller for so many years, lived through pre-free agency, and lived through uh, the pains that the Players Association had to go through early on with the owners to get just basic rights like free agency, arbitration, things like that, without having their contracts renewed or being owned for uh, lack of a better word, in perpetuity. So Bob Locke will join us on the way out. Something a little bit different to round out the show. You'll hear that later. What did we learn? Let's kick it off here. What did we learn from the winter meetings? I'll tell you the one thing you should learn from the winter meetings. Well, two things. First, I cannot predict free agency markets. It's almost impossible. One year, everybody's holding back, and they're not spending till February. Uh, one year, they're they're... You know, pitchers can't get uh, deals the next year. Offensive veterans can't get deals. It's just amazing how the market goes. And I don't know if it has anything to do with narratives, logic, the teams that are in need. Uh, It's hard to predict. And I don't think anybody really has the answer. But I do know, and it's always really been the case, that pitching is really expensive. So if you want to just start there, Forget about the Mets for a minute. Pitching is really expensive. And I'll tell you why. Just And there are still pitchers out there. Uh, Ryu's still out there. Uh, guys like that. So, you know, you, you're going to see more contracts come uh, out of the next couple of months, couple of weeks, whatever it may be. But forget just Jarrett Cole and his $324 million, $36 million per year contract. Uh, you got relievers like uh, 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 Jake Diekman getting almost $4 million a year. Um, Kyle Gibson uh, for the Twins had a rough year, average of $10 million a year. Cole Hamels got $18 million for one year. Uh, Jordan Lyles, a guy that struggled before he went uh, to the Brewers last year, was probably someone you wouldn't even think about. Got $8 million average for two years, $16 million contract. Chris Martin, a reliever, $7 million a year uh, to go back to the Braves. Uh, Jake Odorizzi got the qualifying offer, make, make, making almost $18 million for one year. Drew Pomeranz was on the scrap heap, almost $9 million a year. He's going to be a reliever. Uh, Michael Pineda got $10 million a year. Tanner Roark, $12 million, two-year contract, $24 million total. Of course, the Mets signed Rick Porcello for $10 million one year. And then Michael Waka got the incentive-laden uh, contract for $3 million, but it could be up to $10 million. That doesn't include Steven Strasburg. He also got $35 million. Blake Trinan, $10 million uh, for one year. Adam Wainwright's coming back for $5 million. Zach Wheeler, $24 million. Uh, so you get the point here. Pitching is expensive, and it's risky. And at the beginning of the offseason, I said, if I were Brody Van Wagen and I was looking at all these relievers out on the market as enticing as some of them are, And you could learn from your past history, not so much Edwin Diaz, which I still believe uh, is a correctable situation, but Jerry's familiar. You know, last year the debate was, who should the Mets bring in? David Robertson, a Jerry's familiar. And I was more about Robertson. 
been there, done that with Familia, felt he couldn't get lefties out. The sh- you know, the, the, the mileage on the shoulder. He's had some shoulder injuries with the blood clot. Uh, turns out, yeah, Familia was not really healthy, but healthier than Robertson. Robertson was pretty much out the whole year, so I would have been wrong either way. So I said at the beginning of the offseason, the Mets should just go and spend the money on the starting pitching and figure out value in the bullpen and play that market out throughout the winter. Well, that's what they're doing because that's how they went. Now, they didn't go with Zach Wheeler. They went with Porcello and Michael Waka and developed now a six-man rotation. I do not, and I don't have any information on this, I am not in the camp that believes they will trade any of their starters. And uh, I was I was all for going for, now that's not the starters I would have went for. I would have went for Wheeler. Uh, but it looked like from a long-term perspective, the Mets had some issues with that contract. And let's be clear. Let's be clear. After seeing the news come down on Friday that uh, the grievance that was on the table where Cespedes could have lost all his money, and now it looks like he lost about $20 million, guaranteed to lose 10 he could earn another 10 back in incentives, have a hard time believing, well, never say never, but I have a hard time believing, look at that, this roster construction, that if he's on the Mets, he's going to play enough every day uh, to earn that back, but we don't know what those incentives are, so... You know, the Mets clearly went with the starting pitching that was shorter term and invested in the next year or or so on guys that uh, they hope could round out that rotation. And I don't believe, like everybody's saying, the rotation is automatically worse than it was last year, and I'll tell you why in a minute. It was interesting, I said, because that's the exact uh, uh, philosophy, but in a different way, that the Washington Nationals, their competition, uh, went to market. Uh, I cannot understand if you were offered, and I know this is a Mets-centric podcast, but this impacts the Mets. If you were offered a seven-year, $245 million contract for two players, one Anthony Rendon, everyday player, third baseman, elite, arguably the best third baseman in baseball, kind of that quiet leader on the team, or Steven Strasburg, very good pitcher, not as good as Scherzer and DeGrom, but elite up there. Uh, In a lot of ways, if you told me in the next five years, who would you rather take a risk on? Strasburg or Wheeler, I very well may take it on Wheeler than Strasburg. And the Nationals pick Strasburg over Rendon makes you wonder, and there was some talk that Rendon had some issues with the Nationals and how they didn't allow families on the flights during the playoffs and, and all that other stuff. Uh, but I just found it interesting they went that route. Tells you how important pitching is, but it also tells you it gets expensive. And you have to predict or have to be able to model out internally who you want to invest your money in, because you can't invest in everybody at the same level. And that's, uh, you know, where I think everybody has been missing the boat when uh, when we talk about the Mets. Now, Brody, here's the other part about going into the winter meetings. Brody never lied about where the Mets were going with the payroll. Everybody's been complaining about the lack of spending and the Mets aren't doing anything. And I hear, I would say, they need to do something already. Well, it's December 15th. There's no game tomorrow. There's no game in 30 days. There's no game in 60 days. By the way, there's no game in 90 days. There's still free agents out there. So calm down. Like, they don't have to just do... It's not how you run a business. You don't just run around with your chicken with your head cut off, screaming and yelling. You do that in your fantasy baseball league, you probably don't win your fantasy baseball league either. So let's just just calm down. Brody never lied. Go back. You could read any publication. I have The Athletic in front of me from November 5th 
We're going to be creative with the roster to try to, to find the right players. That didn't say spend a lot of money, get creative, which means the right deals. And to the Mets, the right deals were getting a Jake Marisnik and, and building on the margins of the roster with uh, defense and base running. Uh, what they expected from Juan Lagares and never really got over the last couple of years. It's about bringing in starting pitchers uh, with pedigree. Uh, Porcello with a postseason pedigree. Local guy. Guy that goes out there and from what, and we'll see, I don't watch enough of him, the numbers don't excite you. And he's always been one of those guys where I look at the numbers and go, eh. Um, you know, it just doesn't excite me all that much. And... Uh, to you know, people who see him saying, you know, this is a guy that's 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 you know won a Cy Young award, you know, pitched in big games for the Red Sox, come out of the bullpen in the postseason, got a big contract uh, from Boston. These are smart teams, you know, the Red Sox, the Tigers. These are this is a guy that was a big part of teams that went to the World Series, that helped get them to the World Series. The Mets are not asking him to be an ace. They're not asking him to be number two or number three. Heck, they probably would say, I'll put him behind Mats. I think it pushes Mats more to a five. Of course, Porcello has a better resume, but be that as it may, they're asking him to be a back end of the guy and to be better than the combination of what Jason Vargas and Marcus Stroman were last year. And I'll break that down in a minute uh, because that's what it's really about. I don't want to hear that he's, he's replacing Zach Wheeler. He's not. Um, Brody has said since the July deadline, when the Mets said, okay, we think we're kind of in it, but we're not sure. We'll wind up doing a half-measure attempt to make the playoffs, which annoys people. But you would have gotten hammered if you went all in, knowing the odds and the percentages of making the playoffs. We're so against them, even on the 31st. They went out and they said, what's the best deal we can make? Well, let's get a starter because we're going to need to re- probably replace Zach Wheeler. And they felt they got a starter that at the very worst in Stroman gives you middle-of-the-rotation performance with potential upside and has been in the postseason and has pitched big games. I do not believe, especially after the Cespedes news, the Mets ever had any intention of signing Zach Wheeler unless he accepted the qualifying offer or, and this is very speculative, and I don't even know if they'd go this high, he took a Nathan Evaldi three- or four-year, $20 million per year, $17 million, Maybe even $15 million. I think that's where they valued him. And basically, uh, Brody said during the winter meetings, the models that they had, uh, they did not believe Zach Wheeler for five years and $120 million at $24 million about per year was worth it. They've gone about improving the coaching and the information that they get from the coaches to the players. They want to be more progressive in that, like some of the the quote-unquote smart teams or the teams that are able to win and improve around the margins. Uh, The Mets aren't going to go over the luxury tax, and I don't know if they'll do that when Steve Cohen becomes the owner. Uh, There's only about three teams that have gone over the luxury tax in, um, in baseball, and that's the Yankees, that's the Cubs, that's the Red Sox. And those teams, two of those three teams, are trying to get out from under that. Uh, I know the Dodgers. I don't even think the Dodgers have, and I'll bring that up. I know that there was some talk. The Dodgers, it, it, go to the Dodgers. They haven't gone above, if I look at last year. Uh, now, they've been, in, in, and they've actually talked about, Stan Kasten was on MLB Network talking about how they've been creative with that. So they probably, in dollars, have gone over, but maybe accounting-wise have found ways to, to stay under. Uh, but... 
be that as it may, nobody really wants to go over this thing. And the Yankees went over it and spent big this year when they stayed away from Harper Machado because they knew when the right player comes, I'll go all out. And for them, Cole was the right player. Uh, so this idea that the Mets aren't spending, well, the Mets already have a very large foundation. And let's face it, after the Cespedes news came out on Friday, none of you guys, myself included, knew anything was in the hoppers with that. You all speculated about insurance payouts, which we know nothing about. Nobody knew that there was a pending grievance that the Mets were trying to recoup all the money. Nobody knew that the Mets hadn't paid Cespedes since the injury. Nobody. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that you need to start realizing that, A, a lot of what you consume in media out there is no different than what you get here at this podcast. It's people with information who try to make educated decisions and put information out there for mental bubblegum to keep you engaged and informed about the team. That's their job. Newspapers and sports are as much now entertainment as it is factual. The factual is the game. But nobody really is interested in that because you could go to box scores and video on that. So now it's opinion-based and rumor-based. And the rumor and opinion is starting to really meld together where you don't know. And I'll tell you what, I don't mind calling him out. Mike Puma is the worst at this. If you read his columns, he takes, and they're educated guesses, he takes a lot of educated things from history and things that are in there and puts it together in a column. And he surmises it and positions it almost as news and it's not and i read it i go this is all speculation and it should be quantified that way and it's not now obviously he you know there could be reasons for that it could be the way the editor wants it, it could be mike himself doesn't want people to realize that he's not plugged in and connected there's only one writer that i feel is really plugged in right now on a, on a high level with the inner workings of the mets and that's andy martino at sny you like him, you dislike him. I know that he gets a, a polarizing opinion. Can't stand the guy's politics. Hate when he talks politics on Twitter, uh, especially what he had said a couple of weeks ago, which I won't get into it at all, uh, which went down a racial path. It was very disappointing that he even went that route. But um, Andy does good work, and he's plugged in, and he's worked at that. And I don't think he's at the Heyman Rosenthal level, but. From a standpoint of the local teams, he, he seems to know what's going on. And he said from day one, he was one of the first ones to report it. Stroman is replacing Wheeler. And nobody wants to believe it because everybody wants to believe what they want to believe. So you got about managing expectations. Brody has never lied to you. Now, does he talk like the everyman at the bar with the beer and let's just you know shoot direct? He's very corporate. That's who he is. That's how his job has to be. He also has to make sure, realizing that other teams and his competitors, those he's negotiating with, agents and what have you, are listening. So he has to be that way. Um, so you're not qualified. I'm not qualified. The media is not qualified to talk about the Mets' finances because they don't know. We do know there'll be an ownership change. Uncertainty creates some issues when you talk, when you talk about being nimble with payroll. We do know through source reporting over the years that the Mets have approached their budgets fluid throughout the offseason, throughout the season. We know, being just common sense people who manage home budgets, that's probably not the best way to run anything, much less a baseball team. So you have to be very wary right now about what you're seeing as news and not get so agitated about it. Because, quite honestly, 
A lot of it is opinion. It's it's clouded with agenda against an ownership group they don't like. It's clouded by people who probably aren't really happy being on the Met beat or don't want to be on the Met beat or don't like the team or don't like how the manager or the general manager has uh, treated them, more so the GM. GM, look, I know for a fact people are upset because the GM doesn't hold like Sandy Alderson, those homestand press conferences. And, you know, the GM's basically like, hey, just call me. Like, I'll never not take a phone call. I know that for a fact. And I say to myself, if you need a scrum to get your information, that tells me that you're lazy. Because if you're in the job and you're at the ballpark every day, that certainly would make your job easier. But to me... I would, if I was on the beat, and that's not what this role is on this on this podcast. It's not. It's, mine is the bridge between the fans, the media, the team. That's what I've positioned myself as. Try to bring it all together so you could consume and be entertained in a better way. But if I was on the beat, I'd go out of my way to introduce myself to Brody, talk to him, let him know kind of who I am and what my philosophy is on my position. And hey, is it possible for me to get a contact number in case I have a question or whatnot? And then build from there. It's like sales. You don't just walk in and sales and say, hey, you know, I got this to sell you. Do you want it or not? Sometimes you have to work at building a relationship and learning the account and learning the person. It doesn't happen overnight. Everybody wants everything now, now, now. Easy, easy, easy. Well, most of the people who grew up, especially the young ones that are beat writers or even experienced writers, they haven't sold a thing in their life. And they really, all they've been is, I think they've gotten to the point where post-game press conference, pre-game press conference. Everything's in a scrum, force-fed. You get basically vanilla answers. And then you take those vanilla answers because you meet the requirements of your editor. uh, And you go out and you put an opinion piece, put it as news, and then the fans get agitated and upset. And away you go. It's not the way this works. Nobody knows about the Mets' finances. If that wasn't made crystal clear on Friday when the Cespedes news came out about 5 o'clock, then I don't know what to tell you guys. Brody never lied to you, and if anybody believes that that to be the case, you haven't been reading, you haven't been paying attention, and probably some of the Mets' spending was fluid because not only of the ownership change, because of the suspect situation, because they weren't sure how much they were going to have. And maybe the insurance company said, we're not picking this up because he, we don't know what he did at his ranch. We don't know. Only good could come out of that. I never like to hear about players losing money or grievances to try to get players losing money. I think it's laughable what the Yankees are doing with Ellsbury because the Yankees are just trying to worm out of that deal. Ellsbury going to a second opinion and a doctor, that's, I mean, I don't know. I don't even want to get into that. That's an, another thing altogether. Uh, but I that smelled of a team trying to weasel out. The Mets are the victim here. It's very clear. Guy has, you know, he had a serious injury. They took the risk when they signed him. It's not anything about the the, the calcification in the heels. When you're trying to rehab and you're on your ranch or doing whatever he's doing, a guy that has been flipping sometimes with his health, with the way he golfs and the horses and the cars, whatever, you know, look, there's consequences to actions. That's the way this thing uh, goes. So that's where it is. So that's your lessons. Pitching is expensive. Um, Brody never lied. Take that away. And you're not qualified to talk about the Mets finances because we don't know what they are. I do believe that they're going to spend as much as they can up to the luxury tax, and they're going to try to compete and win. And a lot of the things they're going to try to do this offseason are the non-sexy, 
around the fringes things that everybody touts. Oh, look what the Rays do. Oh, the Mets need to be smarter. But none of it is sexy when it comes to hot stove. None of it is sexy for podcasting. None of it is sexy for radio. None of it at all. And that's the problem. It's not going to make your winter seem fun, but it's just as important when it comes to building a team and building a winner. Let's take a quick break. When we return, is the Mets rotation better? And if so, why? How can you say that when they gave up a guy like Zach Wheeler, who has tremendous upside, who has the Grom upside, for a guy like Rick Porcello, who profiles more as a number five and had some of the worst numbers in Major League Baseball starters last year. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Championships are born by great starting pitchers. And I think when we look at our rotation, we know that at the top we already have guys that can be dominant pitchers throughout the course of 162, but also can be impact guys in the postseason. Adding starting pitching with not only coverage for durability, but also upside gives us a strong hold at we feel like puts us in a very strong position. One of the- in addition to the signing of Michael Walk, acquisition of Rick Porcello gives them two options at the back end of the rotation that have a little bit of a higher ceiling than your typical depth pieces. Porcello, of course, is a former Cy Young winner. Walk at one time was a heralded young pitcher. Both guys have seen better days, but both guys do have good stuff and that elite talent, at least at some point in their careers, that gives the Mets a little bit of a reason to dream on them as opposed to, say, a Kevin Gaussman who got $9 million in San Francisco. All right, we're back talking Mets podcast. You know, I laughed before I get to the rotation. I laughed about the fans that, you know, you got three different factions I see out of like critics. You got the media, you've got Twitter Mets fans, you got the WFAN Mets fans, and then I think you got guys who hang out and consume all three and they fall into like our category, those who listen here. These you guys are the logical group I think that listen here. And I think you all laugh about how foolish, because what, what you want to do is you want to do things the right way. You want to have the right amount of critique and criticism, and uh, you want to be intelligent, or you want to look at this the way real life, about how the actual organization looks at things. So I thought about how there would probably be people, that if the Mets traded that rumor, which I think was such a smoke with no fire rumor, Brandon Nemo for Starling Marte rumor. Um, I think people would be happy if that happened. Oh, the Mets did something. Yay, let's go. And then you break down, and I did that on the last podcast, J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo, so I'm not going to get deep into that. But if you break down Brandon Nimmo and the year he had in 2018 and when he was healthy in September, like it's no contest. He's a better player than Starling Marte. So whatever upgrade defensively you're getting from a run creation, on-base, offensive standpoint, Nimmo is is better. And I'm not so sure his defense is so bad that you can't you can't say that the offense is worth the defense in that situation. The Mets are never going to have an elite defense. That's not the kind of play you to have an elite defense they have to basically trade all their players and get defense, offense, balanced players and I'm not sure that's a better team. And I'm, and that's definitely not realistic. So you have to yes, you have to have staff that strikes out a few more batters than normal. This is a team that went to the World Series with Daniel Murphy and Wilmer Flores up the middle. Doesn't get much worse than that defensively. And until the postseason, 
Uh, neither of those guys were anywhere elite offensively. Murphy wasn't the Murphy we saw for about two and a half years postseason into Washington. And Flores was always a solid offensive player, but was nothing. So if you could survive with that, anything the Mets have out here now is okay. Now, the real point, Brody, you heard, said that the Mets have the deepest rotation in baseball. I know he's into hyperbole, and it drives everybody nuts. And remember, media's writing that down because they can't wait to throw that in his face at some point this year. God forbid Porcello gets hurt or Waka never pans out. They're going to start writing that down. And I'll tell you, and you better be ready for this because this is an easy one. If you don't think there are members of the media that are going to spend more time in the coming year watching Zach Wheeler starts than the Mets, you got another thing coming. You got guys that will have their iPads tuned to Philadelphia Zach Wheeler starts more watching Zach Wheeler than they ever did when he was right in front of them down on a field in the press box. Trust me, every week. It'll get to the point where you won't want to hear it anymore. It may take away from the Jared Kelnick thing because the same people who focus on Jared Kelnick and Double A don't realize they have two elite offensive players right in front of them and J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo who actually have achieved something in the big leagues that Jared Kelnick has not, which has actually played and been successful at the big leagues, and they're ready to trade those guys for relievers or to dump them. Just remember that. But that, that's getting me off the track there. I'm, I'm ranting a little bit there. Is the Mets rotation better? I think the problem here is everybody wanted to take the Mets August 1st, the end of the year rotation, and make that be what was going to be going forward. And if Stroman, well, if Wheeler wasn't uh, going to free agency, they would have kept that rotation. But with Wheeler getting expensive and knowing that they have to potentially make a decision between Cindergaard and Stroman, and they already have DeGrom locked up, but his salary is going to be north of $30 million going forward because he took a, a massive early for season one of the contract kind of, uh, I don't want to say pay cut, but the, you know they, they backloaded more of the money. It was never realistic. Unless Wheeler's market was depressed or he took the qualifying offer to expect that. I think we hoped for it. I hoped for it. I hope that the Mets saw enough to invest. But once that got to 100 and north thereof, I think that that was never realistic. So you have to look at the conglomerate of the season. This is what annoys people and why they got mad at me on Twitter, because they think I'm trying to, you know, parse it out here. And by no means is it a shoe in to say even the conglomerate, when you take Wheeler out of the equation, is it 100% better than it was last year? Well, number one, the reason why you know it's deeper is because you actually have a guy like Waka, who is a risk, who has a history of shoulder issues, which I never like shoulder issues, the stress reaction in the shoulder, uh, had a bad year last year, seems to have his walk rate is up, his strikeout rate is down. There's a lot of red flags there. Got a really good uh, review from his former manager, Mike Schilt, about what kind of player he is, what kind of gamer he is. We'll see how that translates to health. Sometimes that doesn't translate to health, but you definitely are deeper because last year you were trying to, and the few times they were very fortunate they didn't needed this all that often because uh, the only time they really needed it was maybe a doubleheader or when uh, that time when Syndergaard had the hamstring issue uh, was when they went the Wilmer Font route, the Walker the Walker Lockett route uh, early in the year. Uh, Degrom missed a start; they had to go with Flexen. I mean, none of those guys stood out at all. And those are you guys that, you know, Flexen's gone, 
but Walker Lockett would be more of like your seven eight. You have Waka. I don't know. You know, the question comes when spring training comes. How serious are they with how Seth Lugo and Gazelman have stretched themselves out? That if they need innings, and I know a couple of years ago they did this with Lugo, where he he started a few games, was able to give you three four innings. You know, how does that play in, or is Lugo going to be the closer? So there's a lot of questions there. I, look, if you had told me Lugo's going to be the starter and they brought in some veteran depth like Waka, I probably would be okay with it. I think Porcello is more of a guarantee of innings. And with the way that the bullpen market is going, uh, I think that that's going to be uh, pretty important. You know, a guy who could give you innings. And I know it's the old innings eater with like LeVon Hernandez. I could give you 200 innings, but if my ERA is five, if it's a quality, I think Porcello, again, I think when we look at the numbers and we finally watch the player, from what I hear from those who watch him a lot, I think you're going to appreciate Porcello more with the eyes than maybe with the metrics, uh, but we'll see. But going back, if you just want to look at this mathematically, DeGrom is going to be DeGrom. He's not, he was not good this year, and you want to just look at win shares and analytics. Uh, if you want to look at that, uh, the Mets uh, uh, you know, got a slightly less valuable performance from DeGrom the, the second Cy Young season than the first, and that's... Mainly dude, he had that bad stretch early in the year when he was tipping his pitches. Uh, you have Syndergaard, who was a little over about four, four and a half win shares, who was behind Wheeler, who gave you 4.7, almost five wins in terms of value last year. Uh, Syndergaard should be able to range from what I feel was his floor last year in performance to his high, which was 2016, when he's worth about six wins. Mets are betting he's more towards the six than the four. So at that point, you're picking up, let's say you pick up about a win there. So DeGrom is negligible. You pick up a win from Syndergaard. He's your number two. Now this is where are you better comes into play because you lost Wheeler. Now you have Stroman. Well, Stroman versus Wheeler, uh, if Syndergaard makes up Wheeler, and what Wheeler gave you, can Stroman give you the floor of Syndergaard from last year? The answer is he has. He has done that. And he's done that in the American League East in a hitter's ballpark. So I can't see why Syndergaard elevates to Wheeler, which is, is, I'm not going to get into the old Wheeler debate. Let's not start acting like Wheeler's a Cy Young Award winner. He has potential, but we haven't seen it more than in flashes. Stroman becomes in Syndergaard from last year. Let's say, let's for argument's sake say Mats is your number four. I think Mats will give you at least what he did last year. I think Mats has the potential to be much better. You haven't seen the 2016 Mats. Maybe you saw it a little bit in 2018. You haven't seen it consistently. And I wonder if we can see it this year where he starts to get into that, you know, you know I could be more of a three on a given day than a four or five or worse. So Mats is Mats. And then between Vargas and Stroman last year, you got about two wins out of those guys combined in win shares. Uh, Porcello's did that last year almost in a bad year. He was about 1.8. I mean, Porcello's going to give you a couple of wins. And if you want to add Waka into that thing, um, because if you look last year, the Mets, they didn't get any kind of positive starting win shares from a Wilmer Font or from uh, Flexen. Uh, they didn't. 
I mean, it was it's just quite simply. I mean, they Vargas was actually pretty pretty decent. He was not sexy, but he went out there and he got the job done. And I don't see why Porcello can't do that, especially on a one year deal, especially his first year in the American League. So I don't see why the Mets rotation is any worse. Is it better? That's questionable, and I think that's going to depend on how Syndergaard and Stroman perform. And that would have been the case even if Wheeler was here. Because there's no guarantee that Wheeler was going to give you. Uh, a lot of his performance last year was, was, was locked into that last month. He had a great September, which helped him a great deal. And I think he had uh, some struggles there throughout the season. And how is Porcello going to pitch on the road in big spots? We saw Wheeler not pitch well in those situations. So I I certainly think they're deeper. Are they the deepest in baseball? You know, Brody wants to get into hyperbole. Let him do that. I don't care. that I worry about it. Is this deep enough to win? Right now the answer is yes. And it'll be interesting to see if Waka doesn't make the rotation. And right now if everyone's healthy, I don't think he does. Unless they have something else planned for Matt's. And I don't think they're trading him. I think that would be foolish unless they got a really good package that brought back some young pitchers and something of value, not a bullpen on, something of value. Uh, I think Waka out of the bullpen might be interesting. His strikeout rate, her career-wise, has gone up about 30% coming out of the bullpen. And it might be uh, his future. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's we don't know enough about his health. And until it's being dived into deeper... Um, there's, there's nothing we can absolutely say for, for sure, uh, that, 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 that is with confidence when it's all said and done. So I don't think the Mets did the wrong thing. They didn't get the pitcher that you wanted to invest in for the rotation, which was Wheeler, but they got two pitchers and they got pitchers that aren't as sexy that are going to probably give you innings and give you quality starts, but will not be one A's and not give you the second half performance that you got in 2018 like you got for uh, with Zach Wheeler. So that's what it is. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, what's next for the Mets? What do I see? What do you want? We'll talk about that right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five, because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back, and uh, what's next now? So the winter meetings is over. The Mets got their, their starting pitching. They got the decrease in salary from Cespedes. It's debatable where they are with the luxury tax. We talked about you know not getting into that whole forensic accounting game because I don't think we're qualified to do it, and I'm not even going to try to do it. I, I think they have money to spend. What I do think is this. I think the Mets are going to look at the bullpen situation, and I'm not sure they're going to pounce on a Dylan Batances, who if you're looking at guys like Blake Trinan getting $10 million and Chris Martin getting seven and a half, I mean, Batances is going to ask for $10. he has got his, his injuries with his Achilles. Uh, maybe he'd have to earn the second year uh, to a certain degree, but you're giving him $10 million bucks. And you're probably giving them either a player option or some kind of vesting option 
for the second year. So you're looking at two years, $20 million, which is not a terrible deal, but by no means is, is and he's probably the best option with upside that's out there uh, when it comes to the elite pitchers. But by no means is he a given. I mean, this is a guy that back in 2017 was essentially benched in the postseason by the Yankees because he couldn't find his command and his control. And he's a guy that's liable to walk the ballpark. Now, he'll strike out 15 or 16 per nine innings. He'll miss a ton of bats. And, you know, he's a guy that's pitched here, uh, knows how to uh, to win. He's been in a winning uh, culture, a winning organization. You know, when you have a chance to prove yourself, it's, and you're hoping that's the case with Porcello and Waka and, to a certain extent, uh, Cespedes with what happened there, it's always good to have that carrot at the end of the stick and get the best out of these guys. I'm not sure that's where they're going to go. Go back to and listen to what Brody said in November at the GM meetings. They're going to get creative. My guess is they're going to sit back. They're going to wait till the new year. They're going to see what pitchers are left as the musical chairs go. As the crazy euphoria and the money starts to dry up, now you're Joe Smith's, you're Steve Ciszek's. Not sure Baton says will fall into that. Maybe Colin McHugh. Guys like that, I believe they'll try to pounce on. You're also going to have to look now at the three batter minimum. Guys who struggle against lefties and are more either situational righties, like a Seasick and a Joe Smith, versus guys that could get both sides out. How does that come into play? Who's going to take a, a, a minor league deal with a, a camp invite like Luis Avalon did? So there's going to be guys like that. That's where they're going to go. And it's hard for us to sit here and say who those guys are. I can tell you I like Joe Smith. I like Steve Cisic. I definitely like Dylan Patances. I like Francisco Liriano. I like him. I like Colin McHugh. I like all those guys. I don't know, you know where their market is. I don't know what their agents are working on. So I think that's next with the bullpen. So to freak out about the bullpen and where it's at, and you rely, you're going to have to rely on Diaz. You're not, you didn't give up your top prospect to let go of him. And and there's going to be plenty of Diaz talk. I think he's going to be a big... Like, last spring was the spring of Alonzo. I think it's going to be the spring of Diaz this year. I think we're going to be watching him like a hawk. And I think every move he makes... And he had a horrible spring last year, which was a harbinger of things to come. I think his ERA was over five. Maybe higher than that. Maybe seven or eight. So everybody's going to be looking at him. You need him to be better. Uh, we'll see about Familia. I mean, I can't imagine Familia's done. He's still young, but he's got that impingement in his shoulder, and shoulder, just like with Waka, the shoulder issues concern me. They're bad. It's not just like an elbow. Shoulders are complicated, and, uh, it, you know, with Familia, it's hurt his extension, which I think is why his uh, his, his sinker has, doesn't sink, and, and why his command is off. So it's simple as that. What I would like to see, and if you had a choice... Knowing that I think Batances is probably not necessarily in that market, depending on how much payroll they have, I really want them to get a veteran backup. I like Jason Castro and Martin Maldonado. Both are out there. My gut tells me that a guy like Castro would be more likely, you know, look, Austin Roman got about $4 million bucks uh, to back up, but Detroit, I don't know if he's going to play every day. I think it was an option. But if you're looking at Austin Roman getting $4 million bucks, that's what's going to cost you for Martin Maldonado. A guy like Castro... Uh, I think if you look at his win shares and his value, he's probably a seven or eight million dollar guy. With Ramos as the primary, 
I don't think you're going to split a platoon straight down the middle, even though you, you, you could, but Castro would get the bigger part of the platoon if you did it lefty-righty. You may have to do it with matchups and pitchers. I think Castro wants an everyday job. That's be my guess because he's been an everyday player. Maldonado at this time in his career has played every day, but I think is more apt to be a backup. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be curious if they went that route. It is such a downgrade from Ramos to Nito. Now, they may feel that with all their options on the lineup that they can afford to have that whole, that automatic out. I wasn't overly crazy about his defense. The eyes didn't tell me all these advanced metrics and what the scouts said about Nito. So I'd like to see an upgrade. I've liked Maldonado for a while. If you remember last offseason, I wanted them to sign him. Maybe even ahead of Ramos, because I thought a defensive catcher with this staff would have made a difference and then beef up the offense elsewhere. Uh, but but that's but that's where it's at now. Is there a blockbuster move in the offering? If you believe Andy Martino, and I told you earlier, I believe that Martino's very plugged in. Brody's always looking for a big deal and being creative, like he said, is not just getting value-driven contracts like Porcello, like Waka. It's also looking to pounce on deals, and it seems like. The Starling Marte stuff is just not a fit. I think the Mets would like him, but I don't like him when you have to give up J.D. Davis or Brandon Nimmo. I just don't. I think you need those guys. I think you got to go more out of your minor league system, and you more have to be uh, centered around, if you can, and I still don't think Dom Smith's value is as high as people think out there, certainly not as high as the fans think. So I think Dom Smith is either going to be back as a bench bat and a backup to Alonzo. Uh, I don't think they're just going to give him away. But um, uh, I know there was some rumors about LeClerc, the closer in Texas. Uh, guy misses a lot of bats, but he walks so many people. Just those guys really scare me. It sounds like Batons is really when it comes down to it. So anyway, is there a blockbuster? The name that came out is Carlos Correa. And that would be interesting because certainly that's an elite shortstop. Now, that's a guy that comes with some risk, too. He's 24 years old. He's had a couple of years where he's been injured. And, and it's limited him to, uh, you know, less than, uh, you know, he hasn't played over 120 games since 2016. He played one time, 153 games. Now, in 75 games last year, uh, he was pretty good, uh, you know, 21 home runs. I mean, this is a guy that if you uh, play him out, you know, he's a 30, 40 home run guy maybe at shortstop. You know, he could be A-Rod at shortstop when it's all said and done. Uh, he was Rookie of the Year in 2015 uh, when he played every day. But can he play every day? And I'll tell you what, a deal like this, uh, at 24 years old, I know he's coming up where he's going to start to get expensive. Houston's not just going to give him away for Med Rosario. Uh, you're going to need to give up more. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the pitching, you know, do they value Matthew Allen or David Peterson or this is Pookie? I don't know. The Mets and Astros have made quite a few deals. Uh, the Astros are also a team that looks at prospects throughout the organization and and they may value guys that we're not even thinking about. I'm sure Alvarez, the catcher that's highly touted that the Mets have, will be part of that. I I don't know what they think of a Brandon Nimmo. What are they looking for in terms of of you know the type of player they get back? Is Rosario even a guy they want? You know they've talked about moving Bregman to shortstop. So I, I you know and Bregman would be at shortstop would be beyond elite as the best shortstop in baseball. I mean he he'd be a Rod. I mean he, more than a Rod. Uh, you know, with the way he gets on base and the power and all that other stuff. 
Uh, you know, their outfield, uh, maybe uh, Nimmo would be part of that, and you certainly could uh, justify that for Correa. Uh, maybe J.D. Davis. I don't know if they'd want him back, and maybe they move Bregman a, a short, and they, they'd put J.D. at third, but they traded him once, so... Uh, you're going to have to give up one of those guys. Now, when you talk about getting back Carlos Correa, if he's healthy, now it's different when I see J.D. or Nimmo in that deal. Rosario goes, that's a given, uh, if they want him, if they don't want to move Bregman to short. But, you know, it's a much different thing. I, I just don't know right now if the Mets can tear everything apart. They had such a good glue in that clubhouse, a good mix a good thing going that I'm not saying that you can't bring in a Correa and that he's going to mess things up. I'm not saying that, but I wouldn't do it at the expense of ripping too much of the fabric apart. They've always wanted Syndergaard. So I'm, I'm wondering is Syndergaard part of that to replace Cole. So they have Verlander, Syndergaard, McCullers. And would I trade one of my starters for Correa and then go out? I mean, what would I do? Would I, I mean, now your rotation's de- definitely downgraded when you don't have Wheeler and Syndergaard and you replace them with Porcello and Waka. And it's it's risky health-wise. Maybe you have Lugo now as a more serious starter. You know, you could still sign bullpen stuff. You know, I even forgot. I mean, I mentioned Joe Smith. What's, you know, Will Harris is out there. Does he, you know, fall to you in January? So you could beef up the bullpen big time at that point and and focus more on bullpen with the, with the free agent market than the starter. I, I just... I think it's good to talk about on the hot stove. I think the Mets explore it. Obviously, they made the big deal with Cano last year. Not sure how easy those deals are. And I don't think the Astros are going to be an easy team to deal with. But I'll tell you, with all this sign stealing and the whole you know, cloud hanging over this organization, I think the Astros are in for some tough times. And I'm not saying they're going to rebuild, but you know, they may need to mix some things up over there. So I'd be curious how that how that all plays out. So, you know, that'll be interesting. So that's what I see next. I think Brody will look and he will explore to make a big deal. I'm not so sure I'd count on that. I think he's going to wait out the bullpen and see what's available in January. Let the musical chairs, let the market, and let the reasonable salaries, guys who are willing to uh, become a little bit more reasonable dollar-wise or take a minor league invite, major league invite with a minor league deal and earn their spot in spring training like he did with Avalon. I'm sure he's going to sign some veterans who don't have any jobs like he did with Dini Echeverry and guys like that. I, I'm almost positive you'll see that come into play. And I would love them to get a veteran backstop. Maybe Maldonado and Castro are pricing themselves out. I know he's brought some 4A guys in. They got the kid from, from I think it was Tampa. Hernandez, I think his name is. I have to look it up. David Hernandez, I believe. I'd have to look it up. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. And, uh, you know, they've got their own guys, Ali Sanchez, and, and we'll see where that all, all takes them. But uh, a veteran defensive catcher for sure. So, hey, let's take a quick break. When we return, Bob Locker will talk about Marvin Miller Hall of Fame. Uh, Marvin Miller elected to the Hall of Fame. Bob Locker had Thanks Marvin, the website, and has been stumping for Marvin Miller to be in the Hall of Fame for a long time. I actually first spoke to Bob on an old podcast well over a decade ago. Uh, during the early years when Marvin Miller was still with us. Uh, I believe it was either 2008 or 2009, so I figured I'd bring him back and we chat with him and get his reaction after the election of Marvin Miller by the Veterans Committee along with Ted Simmons. I'm not going to get too much into it. not really sure Ted Simmons was the right choice. Marvin Miller is definitely the right choice. Ted Simmons is another discussion for another day. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. 
Our first member of the Hall of Fame class of 2020 spent 17 years as executive director for the Major League Baseball Players Association from 1966 to 1982. He led an organization with minimal assets and developed it into one of the most successful unions in the history of American labor. During his tenure, vast improvements were made for players in a variety of areas, including salary, pension benefits, free agency, free agency, arbitration, and employee rights. He negotiated for additional revenue for players in the areas of licensing and pushed for safer on-field playing conditions, as well as improved clubhouse spaces. By the time of his retirement, player salaries had increased almost 10 times from when he took over. His impact reshaped baseball, and his legacy continues to influence the game. Marvin Miller now joins baseball's other history-making executives in Cooperstown. Joining me is Bob Locker, former big leaguer, 10-year career, uh, over at thanksmarvin.com. You could contact Bob. Marvin Miller now in the Hall of Fame, and he's joining us here. And, Bob, I'll kick it off. Uh, when you heard the news on Sunday night that Marvin Miller was finally elected into the Hall of Fame, curious your reaction. Did you think you would get the chance to see uh, what should have happened years ago, but chance to see this happen? Uh, no, I really didn't and didn't know he was even in the uh, in the process still. And no, Marvin had suggested he didn't want to be on the ballot anymore. And I understand that. But I think in retrospect, I'm certainly glad that somehow he is recognized for part of what he did not just the baseball, but all the professional sports. Bob Locker, former uh, big league pitcher, joining me. Uh, during this week, you see, you, you know, big contract handed out to, to Steven Strasburg, Jerk Coles getting a big contract. Um, you know, the world was a lot different when you played. And you played uh, right around when Marvin Miller was, you know, kicking this thing off and you were your career unfortunately ended before free agency but could you give an idea to those listening especially those who are more contemporary you know what it was like being a ball player during your time and and how difficult it was for you guys to you know not only keep your job but you know obviously get compensated in any way shape or form well it was an owner driven uh, professional sports were all owner driven and uh, so, yeah, I made 50000 one year. But my average for 10 years of pretty productive, I think, activity was something on the order of 30000 a year. Not enough to uh, do anything beyond go back to work as soon as I lost my ability to pitch. When you were able to, you know, go into spring training, I mean, it was a lot different. There was no arbitration. There was no free agency. You know, how did negotiations go with the owners back then? How was your contracts negotiated before a Marvin Miller came in and, and was able to change things? Well, it really wasn't negotiated. It was, Bob, you're lucky to have a job. Here's what I'm going to pay you. I never had an agent, and I couldn't afford an agent anyway. 
So uh, it, it's all changed, and again, it's all due to Marvin Miller and Dick Moss. The two of them took on ownership on behalf of the players and beat them at their own game. And uh, it was to everybody's benefit. And I guess what I'm saying is professional sports has really thrived with this more balance of power between owners and players. Is it out of hand? Who knows? But the players have really no say in what owners pay. They're paying what they want to win. And that's a lot of money. And I don't begrudge the uh, current players any of the money they're making. I wish I could have been part of that. But thanks to Marvin, some future people will get that chance. I was just a little too old too early. Yeah, for sure. One of your contemporaries, Jim Codd, said that uh, when the idea to unionize athletes came up, it was almost preposterous. Like, you know, who do these guys think they are? So do you remember when, you know, this concept came aboard, you know, late 60s, and here's this idea that you guys are going to get unionized, you're playing with obviously is a kid's game at heart. What do you remember about that? Did you think it was crazy? I mean, what, what was the climate like? What was the, you know, the player's perspective on that? Well, the player's uh, perspective was a little bit mixed, but I uh, was happy to find out that I was a player rep when we decided to hire Marvin Miller and I'm on the so-called contract. But, you know, the overall point is uh, it was unfair. It was owner-driven, and the players had no say. And because of Marvin, the players, not only in baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you name it, all professional sports players benefited greatly. And the funny part is, Ownership has benefited equally as much. Do you think being a player rep hurt you in your career at all? I've talked to other players that said, well, you know, I thought maybe my career ended early or I wouldn't, I would have a harder time getting a job. Do you think that that hurt you at all? I mean, you had a, a really good career coming out of the bullpen. You won a title with the, with the A's, a couple of titles. Um, you, know, you know, obviously you pitched until you're 35, but do you think it hurts you at all there at any point? where maybe because you were on that side of the fence that it was a little bit harder for you to get a job or to, uh, you know, stick around with a ball club? Well, let's say this. It's a little strange since I had a fairly um, balanced career. I never had a terrible year. And I was traded five or six times. Uh, You can draw your own conclusions. And I really don't care. At least I was, I never wanted to be traded, but I never regretted the fact that I was. I ended up under Charlie Finley's care, and he helped produce a couple of World Series runs. So that's the bulk of it. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. I believe some player reps probably lost their job, but they probably at least were traded and not released or anything. 
What made you come up with the website Thanks Marvin? Uh, ThanksMarvin.com. Uh, it's been around for a long time. I remember speaking to you well over ten years ago, back around 2008, when you know Marvin Miller said, "Hey, I'm done with this. I don't want to be involved in this Hall of Fame." As we mentioned earlier, as kids, even were told by Marvin before his death to, you know, not get involved in this. What made you, you know, keep this website up? Tons of comments you've gotten on this website. Uh, you know, was this your idea? Were you kind of running it? Like, how did this all come about for you? Well, it uh, really was basically the idea of two players. One was me, and the other was Jim Bowden. Unfortunately, uh, we lost him a year ago or so. Uh, And I pretty much put it up. I had a, a tech rep who was pretty savvy, and I asked him about it, and he said he could... He could put it up, and the other beneficiary and the person that should be responsible, I mean, should be credited for being responsible, is Susan Miller, Marvin's daughter. Uh, She provided all the documentation and things to put up on the website for a good share of it. And I was very pleased with the comments that came up on it. I wish there were more current players involved in saying, yeah, we really appreciate what he's done. But a lot of my old teammates and co-workers um, made comments. It made me feel it was worth the effort that I went through to put it up. And, you, mentioned, uh, you, know, you mentioned that the current ahead. players do – you, do, you do you have any current players reached out to you, you know, contemporaries, maybe guys from – 90s turn of the century or has it been more of your contemporaries from the 60s and 70s that seem to take the most interest i'm i'm curious if any modern more more modern players have ever interacted or sent you comments or or what have you uh not too much uh but you know what can i say it changed and they didn't have to do anything or say anything but i wish more of the current players would understand why they're paid what they're paid and why they have first-class accommodations and some say in what goes on in their careers. What I find interesting is that former baseball commissioner Faye Vincent actually has a pro-Marvin Miller comment. You know, Marvin Miller is going to be going to the Hall of Fame, the same Hall of Fame that has Bud Selig and Bowie Kuhn. Do you find that interesting that First, you have the ousted baseball commissioner speaking highly of Marvin Miller. And, and Faye Vincent had his battles when he was commissioner with the Players Association. Uh, there was a mini strike on his watch in 1990. Uh, I think that was actually a lockout. Uh, and now you got Marvin Miller going to the Hall of Fame with, you know, two of the, you know, alongside two of the biggest anti-union adversaries, <laughs> Seelig and, and Bowie Kuhn. And I I've actually, I'll be honest with you, I'm not just being uh, selling this to you. I never understood why Bud Seelig got in before uh, Marvin Miller. And I don't think people understand how anti-union and, and how much progress wa- uh, baseball was held back by Bud Seelig, who was commissioner, because he was the, you know, behind the, the collusion back in the 80s. That was a little after your time. But isn't it ironic that you have that comment from Faye Vincent and now Marvin Miller will be enshrined with a plaque next to, you know, both Bowie Kuhn and Bud Seelig, who were uh, basically the biggest adversaries there. Yes, they were. And, 
Marvin beats him up, and thankfully that happened. And Faye Vincent was a great commissioner, and uh, very fair to say that he had it right, and Bowie Kim and some of the others did not. It was a, it was a an owner-driven thing, and Marvin gave us parity. Don't look at Marvin Miller as creating a union. Look at Marvin Miller as creating parity between ownership and players. And that's what I wish ownership and owners, uh, whatever, uh, would realize. Don't look at unions as bad. It's just giving the workers, and in our case, the professional players, uh, parity with the ownership. That's all. That's what it should be. That's the American way. I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, Bud Selig does have a pro Marvin Miller comment on your website on a radio interview with the MLB Network ra- uh, Radio, uh, basically saying that because of Miller's impact on the sport. A little backhanded on that, but you know, one last thing before we wrap up. Yeah. You know, everybody. No, that's all about- right. Yeah, take take Bud Selig out of the thing. I, I don't have any objection to Bud Selig, and I think he was uh, fair about things. Uh, Bully Kuhn was an owner's puppet, pure and simple. But other than that, go ahead. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that's uh, I, I'm curious about your, uh, you know, perspective on that. But you know, before we wrap up, I mean, one of the things that I think was talked about about free agency and how it's going to destroy the game back, you know, right around the '70s when this started. You know, only the rich teams will be able to, you know, afford the free agents. Uh, between 78 when free agency started and, and 87, you had a new champion every year. Um, you didn't have any back-to-backs until the Blue Jays in the 90s. So that got thrown out the window. It, I think you said it earlier. It, it opened the door for other sports, and it actually created more parity where all those teams like those Yankees teams back in the 50s and, and early 60s that were able to always get the best prospects – you know, because the territorial rights, you couldn't do that anymore. You couldn't hold on to these guys anymore. So it actually did the opposite. You probably saw better baseball after that. Absolutely. I think it benefited everybody concerned. And that's why I'm I'm very disappointed that people didn't realize or the people that were responsible for electing uh, people to the Hall of Fame Let's put it this way. Simply put, there is no player in the history of baseball or the history of professional sports that impacted the parity and affected positively the sport greater than Marvin Miller. End of story. The website's thanks, Marvin. Bob Locker's been with us. Bob, first of all, I want to thank you for being generous with your time and for reacting to this. It's a great day in baseball history. It's a way to honor history. And uh, Marvin Miller made not only the players better for uh, his work, but also the game as well. Thank you so much uh, for catching up, but I'm glad we're catching up finally when Marvin Miller's elected into the Hall of Fame. Well, let me make one more suggestion. The fact that it was well overdue is understood. But I think the way that Marvin Miller would actually roll over and smile would be if the other sports would 
elect Marvin to their halls of fame. That's football, basketball, hockey, and I'm not quite sure what other ones should be in the run. You want to do me a favor? Reach out to those sports and tell them Bob Walker said they need to elect Marvin Miller because he should be in their Hall of Fame. Bob, that's the least we can do for you joining us, and we'll definitely do that. Thank you again. Have a great night, and be well, and hopefully we can talk again. Okay. Take care. Thank you for having me. Bob Locker, former big leaguer, 10-year career. Thanks, Marvin, is the website. Marvin Miller's now a Hall of Famer. Just an interesting take here as uh, we go through the winter meetings here on the Talking Mets podcast. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. We do more than just the big league team here on the Talking Mets podcast, like when Brooklyn Cyclones play-by-play announcer Keith Rad stopped by and talked to us about 2019 third-round pick Matthew Allen. A lot of people said he kind of looks like a young Matt Harvey, which on the stuff side is, is amazing. He's got kind of that, that young Harvey-looking face, and he comes in the other night, like you said, and he throws, he's supposed to throw two innings, you know, high school guy, keep him, keep him on a limit. He throws two perfect innings, okay, Allen's done, and then they send him out there for another inning, and everyone was like kind of gasping, oh my goodness, this is <laughs> this is the future, they're going to let him go out for another inning, you know, this is somewhat unheard of at this level. And he goes out and shoves for another inning, and um, you know he's throwing 96, and he's got a he's got a hammer at 80, and these guys can't touch it. Like I couldn't imagine, you know, he's just you know shoving in high school, and he's you know shoving now in the pros. Um, he he's got a really great makeup. Listen to this and more at www.talkimentspodcast.com. Great stuff from Bob Locker. Appreciate him coming on. I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to today's uh, broadcast. Uh, what's next? So the holidays are coming up. I'm not sure what kind of news is coming on. I, I believe we're going to do one more podcast before Christmas and New Year. We will take that time off in between Christmas and New Year, and then we'll probably kick it back up after working on something, maybe uh, you know, kind of a, a deeper dive on some things, but uh, maybe do thinking about doing something special for the new year or the holidays, you know, something historical, a lot of things in the air, a lot of thoughts I have. So stay tuned. Not sure what the next one is, but you know, without news coming out, you know, this thing usually drops on Sunday. You want to drop me a note, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. Love to hear from you. Been hearing from some people really appreciate it. You could also send me a tweet at Mike Silva media and then what have you, and you know, I'll get back to you. Want to thank Bob Locker for joining us today. Of course, check out the show all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Like I said, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. Send me an email, email Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks a lot for tuning in. We'll be back with another podcast soon. Take care, everybody.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.